Hello, I'm Nicola Foley and this is the Let's Talk About podcast. The cost of caring often refers to financial hardship, but many carers also suffer physical and mental health issues as a direct result from the pressures of caring. Fortunately, there are some amazing charities working hard to improve the lives of carers. One such charity is Carers UK. In October 2022, Carers UK published a report titled Heading for Crisis, Caught Between Caring and Rising Costs. Most of the data presented in the report comes from the State of Caring Survey, undertaken between the 12th of July and 11th of September 2022. You can find the link to the full report in the podcast description or on the carersuk.org website. Today, I will be speaking to Richard Mead, who is Director of Carers Scotland which is part of the charity Carers UK. We will be discussing the impact the current cost of living crisis is having on carers. Hi. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you, how are you? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. What would you say are the biggest challenges faced by carers in Scotland due to the cost of living crisis? Well, we do every year across the UK, actually, Carers UK do the state of caring report. And um, and we do a version of that. For, well, we do as part of that, we break the numbers down for Scotland. And last year in 2022, we got over 2000 people responding to our state of caring survey, which was by far and away the biggest ever response we've had. Um, I think the fact that so many people did respond shows just how much um, the current circumstances are affecting carers and they were keen to express what's been happening to them. And as part of that, the survey in Scotland found that a quarter of all carers are now struggling to make ends meet. And I think what's really worrying about that statistic is that that survey was carried out in the summer last year. Right. So um, right before some of the the the, the more um, the, the, the greater increases in prices, particularly around energy, had actually taken impact in the autumn and also before the greater demands on energy use. So if that's the situation last summer, I can only imagine how much worse it now is for a lot of carers um going into this winter uh, or coming out of this winter and again particularly looking at the, that 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 survey of carers that um that responded one in five are saying they're struggling to afford the cost of food and the same one in five are struggling to afford to heat their homes so the yeah. cost of living crisis is really biting on those essentials um in fact i think it's double the number of carers reported having to um they, they were struggling and cutting back on essentials like heating and eating since the last time we did that survey so those are huge uh, hugely important issues for carers and huge impact on their uh, on their ability to um to obviously just go about a normal life and um, some of the specifics in there that we've sort of discovered as part of some of these conversations is that carers obviously depending on who they're caring for and and, um, and the condition that the person that they're caring for has will have um, really unique um, energy needs and uh, equipment needs and supply needs so you'll get carers and families that might need medical equipment like hoists and um, ventilators potentially lifts stair lifts as well as having to have lots of medical supplies and other uh, equipment like potentially incontinent pads, bandages. They might need to keep their heating on for longer than, than most households because of the nature of the condition and yeah. the fact that they're home all the time. So maybe 24 hours a day in some circumstances. So that's really those carers have been absolutely devastated by the current cost of living crisis and particularly the substantial increases in energy demands and we've heard stories of carers paying thousands and thousands of pounds a month 
just to be able to keep their house running and to keep the person that they're caring for safe and uh, and, and cared for. And that's obviously completely unacceptable. Now, I think we say we've discovered it, but actually this problem has been there for a long, long time. It's just been yeah. exacerbated by <clears throat> a cost of living crisis. And actually, um, these are the things that are, that many carers are facing in Scotland right now. And um, and sadly, I think have probably got a lot worse since this state of caring report last um, autumn. Yeah. And do, when you do that report, does that break down? Do you break them down into categories of what kind of carers they are? Or is that just across the board? It's just across the board. We don't um, I think we do have some data, but it becomes harder then to break it down. Um, mm. So we do know the proportion of people who are um, caring um, and um, and their sort of caring role. But we don't break down the percentages of the cost of, of, of uh, those struggling for making ends meet and such by that because the numbers become a bit too small. OK. <clears throat> what do you think the government should do to support carers at the moment? Well, lots. And um, I mean, this, well, they could be doing so much more. Um, and I think we're talking about two governments, really, in terms of Scotland, so obviously Westminster could be doing substantially more to support um, carers, uh, particularly in terms of things like the energy crisis and, and what action they might take to be able to support um, carers to pay their energy bills. But also here in Scotland, our Scottish government could be doing more. And we, we've um i think for example the social security system needs to be better set up to support carers yeah uh, we know that carers allowance is, is pretty pitiful um even in scotland where we get the carers allowance supplement um twice a year for those that are on carers allowance i think it still only works out about 80 pounds a week yeah. and that for somebody that's caring for at least 35 hours um it, it doesn't take a mathematician to work out that that is a tiny hourly rate um, and uh, that is completely unfair and is inadequate to support carers. And then on top of that, we know that carers allowance um, is only available to a small number of carers and that many carers do not get it. Um, and so I think we, we, we need to see much more um, done to support carers through Social Security. And the Scottish Government is looking at carers allowance in Scotland. So we are right now are proposing a new Social Security benefit called the carers uh, support payment, which will replace carers allowance in Scotland. Um, and there are suggestions in there that there are going to be some improvements. So um, it will potentially um, reach more people. That um, education limit of um, being in full-time education, which disqualifies some people from, um, or disqualifies people from being eligible for carers allowance will be removed. There's an additional payment for somebody that's going to be caring for more than one person. Um, but these are really limited and incremental, tiny incremental changes to to what we've got at the moment. So even though it will be slightly better, it certainly won't be a lot better, and it certainly won't um, cover as many carers as it should, and it certainly won't be at the level that many carers deserve and should expect to be able to support them to live well. Um, I think going back to the position of um, carers having to pay out huge energy bills for medical equipment, I think that's actually completely... Um, unfair and unjust to expect carers to pay or to expect households to pay for the cost of running that <laughs> medical equipment yeah. because why if you were in hospital you would never ever expect to get up uh, to be discharged and have an energy bill for your for your heating and for your lighting and for your um any machinery that you might have used in in, in the time that you're in that admission but somehow that is then acceptable that we have to pay for that at home the scottish government and generally most governments talk about um 
this shift of care from acute to community and, and getting people out of hospital to be cared for at home, not only because it's obviously more efficient and it's better for the health care system for those people to be at home, but actually it's what people want and it's where they prefer to be and they can prefer. So if we if that's government policy and that's our ambition to do that shift, then we shouldn't then shift the cost of um, of care to the person at home as well. We absolutely shouldn't be doing that. So I think um, the Scottish government should be looking at how every person that's discharged with medical equipment or who needs medical equipment to support someone to be at home or whether it's supplies like incontinence pads and other such things should have that cost covered so that it's not, they, they're only paying for the cost of their ordinary and normal um, heating or electricity. Anything yeah. above and beyond what you might expect from a household would um, to pay for medical equipment would be covered. And I think the other thing that the government should do more of, because we know in terms of cost of living, one of the um, the, the best ways to obviously um, to support people to to have a good income is to is to be able to work. Now, not every carer will be able to work. It's just simply not possible because of the nature of their caring role, and that's where the social security system needs to kick in to support them. And that's um, absolutely what should happen. But yeah. for some carers, they absolutely will want to work, and they want to maybe work part time or even full time. But being able to do that can be really challenging, potentially on the nature of uh, an employer and their ability to be flexible and to support a carer. And also the, in terms of if somebody's been out of work for a significant period of time, then how they might um, return to the workforce after that period. So government should be doing a lot more to support carers, both to be um, able to get back into work after a period of caring or to work alongside their caring role. Um, and also employers need to do more and government should be working with employers to make sure that they can um, uh, be flexible to support carers in the workplace. And actually one of the, um, <clears throat> the a piece of legislation that's currently going through the Westminster government is um, a carers leave bill. It's a private members bill that's been introduced by Wendy Chamberlain. And, um, and uh, that bill will give par- carers a legal right from day one to five days unpaid leave and yeah. um, not you would argue you could say well it's unpaid that's not great because obviously it's cost of uh, it's, you then have to bear the brunt of taking that time off but this is kind of the first time that that's going to be set out in statute and that will in, that will give rights to two and a half nearly two and a half million carers across the UK so it's a starting point it's not perfect and it's something from which we can build on and then hopefully we can push the, the, the UK government, either the current one or more likely to be the next one when it comes to actually move that from being, say, five days unpaid to five days paid and then maybe 10 days paid as we go so that actually carers have some flexibility in how they can work um, and look after the person that, um, that they're caring for as well. And those sort of flexible working arrangements that we've now been a benefit of, of COVID-19, the ability to work from home, the ability to work virtually, the ability to work compressed or flexible hours, all of those things make it much more likely that somebody who is caring and working can successfully juggle the two. So, yeah, again, both governments should be looking at how they support um, people in employment where they want to to work. Yeah, I agree. And I think the problem as well is that people don't realise like a lot of the issues that I get told about is that if you're working a certain amount of hours and you go over by like two hours yeah. or something, then you can lose like the whole of well, the carers and it, oh my goodness. Absolutely. And I believe the, the the Scottish government's proposal for the new carer support payment is to um is to make that slightly more generous than the current carers allowance. But yeah, it, the, it's a cliff edge. So if you actually work like five P over the limit, then you lose your whole carers allowance. Yeah. That absolutely shouldn't be happening. We should have a system that's A, more generous, 
and B, um, tapers off so that actually the more you work, you don't suddenly just lose your cares allowance over the uh, over the top. You actually you it supports you way through. Um, so yeah, I I think that again would be an absolutely welcome change is to make that the, the number of hours that you can work a more generous and more um, and B actually there's not that cliff edge so that you lose your benefit as soon as you earn ten pence more than that abstract line in the in the pay slip and uh, yeah that would be a huge help too yeah definitely okay so what is your company your carers scotland currently doing to try and alleviate some of the challenges for carers that you spoke about previously with the cost of yeah. living crisis? well we i mean uh, we're actually a really small organization um i think sometimes our our name is bigger than our numbers um and so um it, it, but one of the things that we do is we obviously work with governments to try and make that case for change. So we campaign and we do lobbying work. Um, and it's certainly for Carers Scotland in Scotland, we do that um, daily. And we also work with as a, an array of other national carers organisations out there. And because we're all quite small, we do tend to club together to try and make that case together for change. Um, so we'll work with government, we'll meet with um, the, the civil servants, we'll meet with the ministers, We'll work with this parliament and we'll speak to the MSPs and we'll continually make the case um, for better support for carers. And we've been doing that recently. Um, actually, we just um, the, the Scottish government's just passed its budget. Um, and we ahead of that was trying to make the case for a carer support fund to help carers specifically in trouble. Unfortunately, uh, the government didn't um, respond to that particular request on this occasion. They didn't find room for it in the budget and that was obviously hugely disappointing but that's some of the stuff that we've been trying to do we again always are making calls for the um, social security and um, to be more generous and um, and again we called for the carers allowance supplement to be doubled last winter and, and and again just to help particularly with that current cost of living crisis and uh, we were successful during the pandemic actually in getting that supplement doubled yeah um, it was our campaigning work that helped get that doubled then but Again, government has not responded in a positive way this time round, and so, um, but, and we're working with government again on 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 the the new carers support payment again, trying to get them to relax the rules to make it more generous to extend it. For example, one of the things right now is if if you're caring for somebody and you get carers allowance and um and the person you're caring for dies, then your carers allowance is stopped after eight weeks. Yeah. which we think is incredibly short period of time. It's barely any time at all. And you're suddenly going to be then um, without the source of income that you're you're dependent on and still trying to adjust to a um, a world following the, the the death of the person you're caring for. So we've been calling for that to be extended to six months. Yeah. Um, government have so far compromised and are trying to say 12 weeks, but we still think six months is um, a lot better because it gives people the time to adjust to that um, to that their new way of life and then also to start thinking about what they might want to be doing next or what they uh, need to be doing next in terms of their own um, circumstances. So we'll keep pushing on that and we'll keep working with them um, to try and make that benefit a little bit better than what they've currently got proposed. We do quite a lot of work working with groups that are trying to advocate for better support for, um, for not just for carers, but for example, for people that are in poverty, we do work on this Scottish government's working group on um, the minimum income guarantee, right. which is suggesting a, a minimum level of income that everybody should, every household should get um, and looking at ways to make that work because that for us would be absolutely ideal. Um, every household should be able to get a, a minimum standard of 
living and 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 have the means to be able to achieve that and that includes carers and um, so we definitely um do work that relates to to that and work with other organizations um on top of that we also do um going back to the employers and and, and the role that employers can play in supporting uh, carers um we uh, run um uh, the carer positive scheme in Scotland and this is an accreditation scheme and it works with employers so employers um that um that, that are obviously looking to make sure that their workplaces are more carer friendly will work with our carer positive scheme to get an accreditation it can be um there's three levels to that working up to an, from a, a basic entry level to uh, an exemplary and, and that supports carers to put in place good HR policies and practices, potentially setting up carers networks within their organization and um, offering things like carers leave and other such things. So that scheme um, helps work with employers to make sure that carers have a, uh, or, or there are more carer friendly workplaces. And actually already in Scotland, I think we've got about 240 odd organizations that signed up to carer positive and it covers nearly half a million employees. Wow. Uh, employees. So things like that um, are good. And on top of that, I mean, we do other bits and pieces to support carers. We offer information and advice through helpline, through websites and forums, and to hopefully help try and give uh, carers the information they need to understand maybe what they're entitled to and, and where to get help from. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, I think <clears throat> what you said there was really important about like the when somebody dies, because if you've been caring for somebody for 10 or 20 years and then suddenly that stops, I mean, you're out of the job market and yeah, and you're you're emotionally like really in a vulnerable place as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I, don't, I still don't think 12 weeks is enough that the government are offering there. Yeah, definitely. To... Yeah. So, no, I think um, six months is the minimum. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so, too. I agree with that completely. So what do you think people don't know about carers that you feel would help if they knew? Mm -hmm. Well, for starters, most of us will become carers one day. I think the current statistics suggest that three in five of people will become a carer at some point during their lives. So right. it will affect us. And all of us will know someone who has been a carer at some point. And I think, actually, I think the fact that a thousand people every day in Scotland become a carer is a really significant statistic. That's actually, huge. I yeah, didn't realise that. Was... <laughs> wow. Exactly. I, I told a colleague um, that, and um, when she then re counted that to someone else she said a thousand a year and I was like no no a day and actually a thousand people stop being a carer every day in Scotland so okay. the, the population I think it's, it works out around 350,000 new carers every year and 350,000 finish being a carer every year and then mm. we've got what about 800,000 carers so there's about 200,000 in the middle that are continually caring so it just shows you how transient that population is yeah. so all of those people that are becoming carers every day what information are they getting? What do they know and what do they not know? What kind of support are they getting? How are they getting that support? Those are hugely significant. And then again, same with what we've just been talking about. If a thousand people's caring roles are ending, what does that look for, like for them? Is it because of a somebody's died? Is it because they've maybe gone to a care home or a nursing home? Is it because they may be recovered from an injury that they've had or some their circumstances have changed? What do they need to support transitioning out of being that caring role? Is it support with employment? Is it support with education? Is it support with something else? So that I think is something I think everybody should know, but very much, very importantly, social government and social people that are planning services. Yeah. I think the fact that actually a lot of people 
Um, a lot of carers don't, don't actually know that they are carers. They don't necessarily see themselves as a carer first and foremost. They'll see themselves as a as a husband or a wife or a, a mum or a dad or a, a son or a daughter or whatever the relationship is. Um, they'll see themselves as that first and they won't even recognise the term carer. And that as a result means that they don't necessarily realise they can be getting some support or help for themselves as well as the person that, that they're looking after. Um, again, research suggests that it takes about... <laughs> years for a person to recognize that they're actually a carer yeah. and by that point it could be that that person is in a point of crisis they could be actually at their depending on the nature of the person uh, of the caring role they could have been for years intensely looking after somebody without a break and as a result they're actually at the point of crisis before I was, I was gonna ask you sorry to interrupt you there but I was gonna ask you that do you think that's linked do you think the two years is just linked to the fact that people after two years are sometimes at crisis point is there any evidence of that? I don't know if there's any evidence to suggest that it's linked to crisis. I just think that's the case in some circumstances and that you will have. I mean, again, it depends on the nature of the caring role, because some people might become a carer and actually the person that they're caring for has um, doesn't have particularly strong needs at the start. It might be the nature of the, it might be a disease that the person has and they became somebody right. with a disease, um, for example, dementia potentially the point of diagnosis then the, the level of need is quite low potentially so the carer doesn't really see themselves too much as a carer but then as maybe that disease progresses and person declines suddenly two years in they're like oh my what am I doing all this stuff and I didn't realize and, and now where do I turn to get help yeah um, and then as for as I say for other people they just don't see themselves as a carer so they don't recognize the term um and then it may be that they get prompted by a, somebody to say you do realize you're a carer and i've seen that happen actually and i've seen that happen with people who work in 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 the sector actually they 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 work around carers they've experienced carers and they see carers and they haven't realized themselves hang on a minute i'm a carer and actually i should be getting some support yeah. so that i think is um and i think we would certainly take the case that it's everyone's responsibility to help identify and support somebody that's caring, whether that's the GP, the receptionist at the GP surgery, whether it's the teachers at school that's noticing that the children that they're teaching, one of them is 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 caring for a, 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 a parent, or it might be in universities, it might be in um, workplaces. So everyone should have that understanding about what is caring and how it affects people and how they might support somebody who is caring, whether they have recognised themselves as a carer or not. So yeah. those are all, those are the things I would want to be out there more in the public is helping people to understand that they may be caring, but equally helping others to understand what caring is and how they might help somebody that's caring. Yeah, and I think it's really, that's a really important point because I'm a carer and my friends are aware of that. Um, they go away for a weekend every year and obviously I can't do that, but they do invite me to go during the day. So if my son's at school during the day, then I can go mm -hmm. to just meet up with them. And it's yeah. including people like that. Finding yeah, a way absolutely. to include them is just invaluable, isn't it? That's Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good example of how friends and communities can sort of work with people they know at are carers. And yeah, things might not fit. So you just say, oh, well, you can't do that. It's actually, well, how can we include you? Yeah. So that was a good yeah. and, and also what you said about universities as well. I mean, ours, because I'm on a carer committee at uni and a lot of the students don't realise that they're caring for other students either. You yeah. know, if they've got like problems going on and they're missing classes to constantly support this student, yeah. that is caring and they don't get yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, education, as you're probably well aware, usually tries to have um, rigid ways of doing things. And if you don't fit the model, then you don't 
you, there's very little wriggle room for flexibility yeah. and um, actually that's the exact opposite they should be more flexible and more responsive to people who have caring needs so that they can ensure that actually the first day that the student gets the support they need but also the education that they want yeah exactly yeah so as i just mentioned there i am a carer um and i'm also a part-time student and you've actually touched upon this so i'm not allowed to to be a full-time student at the moment because of my care and responsibilities and that's an hours thing so you did say there that there's a policy and that they're gonna because yes. a lot of the benefits are migrating over to scottish um that's right yeah so when do you think that might happen <laughs> It, well, it should do. Um, the carer support payment, um, which is replacing the carer's allowance in Scotland, does remove the full-time education um, uh, ineligibility. So if you are if you are studying full-time, you will be entitled to carer's allowance, which absolutely should be the case. I mean, I think it's, I don't know how that ever ended up in the original system, but um, why we would ever want to put a barrier to somebody trying to seek an education um, is beyond me. So that is a very welcome um, change to the Scottish system, um, which I think will start to be piloted towards the end of this year and then be moved um, so uh, and then rolled out to all of Scotland at uh, some time next year. Right. So, um, I mean, it can't come in soon enough, but uh, but yeah, absolutely. I don't know. We should be creating social security systems, particularly for carers, um, uh, uh, that support people to get an education and support people into employment. It should be about encouraging and, and finding ways to support carers because it only helps everybody. <laughs> Not only do you get the education that you need and that you want and that you should be entitled to have, but equally, it might then support the, the wider system yeah. in terms of future employment, in terms of future financial contributions and future social contributions. Yeah, we should be finding ways to empower people to take part, not finding ways to restrict them. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And like you said earlier about losing somebody, you'd still have the grief period. So you'd yeah. still need that. But if you have been able to do other training or work yeah. a bit more then yeah exactly. it might such be, a the transition, transition might be much quicker yeah um, and yeah no it's absolutely i don't see and don't understand where we try to restrict people taking part in stuff that is a benefit not just to them but actually to the society in general yeah yeah absolutely okay so um as a parent carer i've found a lot of charities or services i've approached have been predominantly set up for older carers um and so i they kind of have a lot of things in place to support older people as well so and and also actually thinking about this uni as well are very set up to kind of have specific things on during the day when people might either be at work or be studying if they can do that so i was just wondering kind of do you think that younger parents especially like say young carers get actually quite a lot like if they're very young they get quite a lot of sort of recognition and support i think because you know there's a lot of things set up for them isn't there groups they can go yeah. to and they get a payment as well don't they they can get um a young that's right young payment. carers payment yeah but i think it's that middle section that like students at uni and stuff and from there right up until kind of the really older carers seem it just seems to be a little bit lacking they don't always seem to know what to do with me and what to offer me if i sort of the respite set up for older people as well to go into yeah. a hospital or a care center and that doesn't work for me yeah no, I, I, what's happening with that? Can we change that? <laughs> I think it's a really important observation. Um, and I think you're right. And I think it's largely because of the numbers. Um, the vast majority of carers are older people caring for older people, usually spouses and, and, and partners or carers caring for older people. So um, sons and daughters caring for elderly parents. Um, and I think as a result of that, that's all the service providers and the commissioners tend to see and focus on. Um, and actually, as a result, you get a lot of service provision out there for carers that is really not age appropriate. 
um, and actually only meets a proportion of the needs of the of the caring population. Um, and I think, again, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think parent carers are probably one of the caring groups that really don't get a lot of support. Um, and actually, there probably needs to be a much greater level of, of focus on that particular group, because, again, health and social care will focus on that older population as well. Um, and I think, yeah, parent carers are the, the ones that are likely to get, in a sense, squeezed. You're right. I think young carers, although probably still don't get the same level of support um, as older carers and, and some other caring groups, do get a bit more and certainly get a bit more focus and attention. Um, but I think some of the issues that affect parent carers, particularly such as transitions. So if you've got um, if you've got children that are moving into adult services, there's huge challenges around that, not only just for the for the person that's transitioning into the adult services, but also for the carer that's helping to manage that process and maybe going from full time education into full time adult service looks very, very different yeah. um, for that carer. And so where's the support what does that support look like and often it's it's wanting um certainly in my experience of, of that there is a, a much a much less of a focus on, on on parent carers um and again i think that is something that we should be pushing at local government and and social care level but also at national level to create a, a sort of a general level of, of awareness around um parent carers absolutely yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think because some of the respite and that just doesn't work either. So like yeah. I can't get a break because yeah. it's not set up for children of my son's well, age. So Yeah, I was about to say, because respite, I mean, from my experience, of it, a lot of respite services are at younger children um, and then obviously at older adults. And um, and actually, when I say older adults, I'm meaning 60s and 70s and plus um, because and because and, and, um, as well as obviously not being age appropriate for potentially teenagers and young adults there's very little for them in fact if nothing but actually I hear again from adults in their 40s and 50s who might need respite and then they've been put into a care home with people who are in their 70s and 80s of which the vast majority maybe have dementia and it's just not age appropriate at all for them yeah. for a respite break so no, yeah. especially for kids like that are like mine that are neurodivergent and stuff and they couldn't mm -hmm. cope with that kind of environment either yeah exactly and and so I think unfortunately our commissioning services and, and service providers are are, are catering for the biggest impact in terms of numbers and not necessarily in terms of need and that definitely needs to change right so finally um what are your hopes and plans for improvements for carers moving forward well i mean i think a starting point is that we need a scotland that really truly recognizes and, and values carers and i think a, a country where carers are properly supported to care where they can actually live a life of their own, working towards their own dreams and hopes, as well as supporting the person they're caring for, if that's what they choose to do. Um, caring should be a choice. It should never be a compulsion. Um, uh, and I think on top of that, we need a, a statutory sector, the health and social care in particular, that enables carers to do all of this, rather than one that actually leans on carers to ease pressure on its own failures. I think that's what we see right now is that health and social care is leaning on carers to do the work that it can't do um, for its own failures. And, and that's not a, that's not a comment on staff or it's not a comment on, on individuals because we know that people are working so hard in the system. But the problem is, is the system itself is failing because they're not investing in health and social care. We're not seeing um, social care particularly getting the support it needs to be able to deliver services to people in communities. And that's we absolutely need to see workforces and social care given a decent wage, a career path, progression opportunities. Um, right now, all I hear is the problems with social care where carers can't have contracts filled because 
there's not the staff there to fill them yeah. if they can't get um the services that they need in their communities because there's not the staff and there's not the workforce all of that does is pile pressure on carers to take up the slack um which is why we're sort of seeing more and more carers doing more and more hours of caring every week and that's just not fair so i think that absolutely is important the statutory sector needs to um support not um rely on carers and i think carers should not be subjected to poverty for caring that absolutely is um we need to uh, 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 scotland where caring is 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 supported and carers uh, and households are supported to live well um, and that includes making sure that they have adequate resources, uh, financial and otherwise. Um, and then uh, carers' health and well-being absolutely should not be affected by the fact that they are caring. Right now, if you care for somebody, you are far more likely to be in poorer health than those who do not care for somebody. And actually, caring is pretty much a social determinant of health. And with that comes an inequity that actually we have to close. Um, those are huge issues. Um, and actually... I think it's it's a massive. Uh, I think in many ways, caring right now is in a, in, in a is in a bit of a public health crisis, and we need a, a public health response to support carers. Because um, sadly, I, I hear far too often from carers who are just struggling, um, and it's with every aspect of of their caring, whether it's financial, physical, mental health, getting respite, getting support, getting the right support for the person they're caring for. The stress and pressure. Yeah. And responsibility that comes with all of that it's no surprise that so many carers are probably feeling pretty much at the end of their tether um and we are a long way off that vision as it were of a scotland that truly recognizes and values carers so i think yeah we've got a, a long way to go um but it's so important that we get it right because i think actually as i said before everyone will be a carer or, or, or the vast majority of people will be a carer at some point and actually as we move into Scotland's future with more and more people which is a good thing living into older age it will mean more and more people living into older age with health conditions that will need support yeah. um, and that is again going to increase the pressure on caring populations uh, and actually going back to what we were saying before that focus on older populations might squeeze even more some of the other areas so we need to get it right for all of the caring population no matter what you um uh, whatever your caring role is i think that's probably one of the things that i've learned in the 13 months 14 months i've been at carer scotland is just how diverse the caring population is yeah 800,000 people caring in scotland right now um and that it, it, it's it's almost unhelpful to call them all carers because they are all so vastly different from parent carers to somebody caring for an elderly relative to somebody an elderly relative caring for their, their partner through to somebody caring for somebody with dementia versus somebody caring for someone following a motorbike accident somebody caring in poverty to say somebody caring with all the resources in the world it's so different it's so vast and actually we're often trying to find solutions that fit a neat sort of package that can be called carers which means it gets some but misses a whole load more yeah. so yeah all of those things um are huge challenges but um but we need to get it right because caring is such an integral part of our society and supporting carers is absolutely crucial if we're to have a society that is is fair and just. Yeah, I think something would collapse somewhere if all the carers yeah. just suddenly decided they were not going to do it anymore. Well, uh, the caring population um, saves um, the Scottish government 
13.1 billion in health and social care costs every year and that's not a carer scotland figure that's a scottish parliament figure right. as they're doing doing their thinking around the national care service they have calculated that carers save the health and social care 13.1 billion now if i'm right i i think the current next year's budget for health and social care in total is 19 billion so imagine having to slap on 13 billion on top of that impossible so yeah absolutely and this and it goes back to that point the sector leans on carers right now and actually it should be supporting carers and actually you're right if carers all stop tomorrow for um then the cost to the system it wouldn't even be able to it wouldn't be about the cost the system would just collapse yeah be gone yeah there'd be no nowhere for anybody to go yeah exactly. you yeah. can't even on my head can't even compute what would happen yeah. That's exactly. crazy. Yeah, exactly. I think as well what you were saying about um, <clears throat> like the population getting older, I think we've also got to acknowledge as well that like neurodivergent conditions are getting much more recognised mm -hmm. and therefore a lot mm -hmm. of children, you know, that parents have been caring for them, not realising they've been doing that extra work as a carer. Mm -hmm. And that's going to increase as well, yeah. vastly. So Absolutely. And I think we need to look at that as well, because I think... Well, firstly, there's huge challenges for a lot of families trying to get a diagnosis in the first place yeah. and the lack of support for in mental health services to support young people. Uh, the gaps are huge. So families are just fighting to get a diagnosis. And then even when they get the diagnosis, the fight then continues to get the support they need. And that is completely unacceptable as well. So, yeah, again, if we were to sort of broaden this conversation out to beyond carers and talking about some of those other issues, then, yeah, we absolutely need to invest in certain and in other aspects of, of health and social care that actually supports people and families to get diagnoses, to get support, to get packages of care. Um, and and the, the irony of it is, is that we sort of neglect these services and these, these points at our peril because... All it does is it store up problems for later on when they're much harder to deal with and far more costly. If we were to take a much more preventative and early identification pro approach to some of these problems, find your find who's caring early, get some plans in place to support them. You're more likely to keep them in the position where they can continue to care. They're getting regular breaks. They're getting checked. They're getting the support that they need to care. And actually, then it's far less likely they're going to turn up at, at, at A&E because They've literally their back's gone, as because they've just lifted them on for one once too often. They've lifted that person and their back's gone, or or worse, they've had a heart attack because the stress of that caring role has got to a point where they they just they've had a heart attack, and then actually the the real problem there is that the person not only has had a heart attack and their own health is in danger, but the chances are that the person they're caring for will then then end up either in an acute setting or in another setting that they don't want to be in. Maybe they don't want to go to a care home, but they're going to be forced to. So, yeah, um, how we get to those earlier um, points of, 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 of need is an actual a really important part of how we solve these problems. And all these problems are linked, aren't they? I mean, I can just see connections between all of them. And it's so short sighted of the government to not realise that by just putting this in place, they're saving themselves money in the long yeah. run. Yeah, it's, it's baffling. Um, uh, it's baffling to me, actually, how we don't see the, the value and the benefit of of trying to make get to points earlier um, and I think maybe it's just the the situation that we're in is that we've got to this point where we've just dealt with crisis after crisis fighting, all we can ever see is crisis yeah. um, and as soon as one crisis is solved the next one is there but the sad thing is that those crises are linked so it's how do we break that cycle that's yeah that's a whole other podcast but um <laughs> yeah. but, 
but yeah, breaking that cycle and somehow getting to the point of investing earlier will actually ultimately save in the um, in the long run because you will prevent more. Uh, you prevent um, people going into crisis and needing more intense or uh, acute interventions. Yeah. And final question, which I ask everybody, and obviously journalistic training kicking in from Sterling here. Is there anything else you would like to talk about or anything you think we've missed? Well, I could probably talk for hours and hours. <laughs> um, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, I think we've had a really good conversation and I think we've covered an awful lot um, about what, what is facing carers right now. Uh, and I think um, the real challenge is, is 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 how do we create that society that is 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 pro carer if you want to put it in a yeah. catchphrase because right now I don't think it is and I think lots of carers are out there struggling and and don't see an end in sight to that struggle and don't feel that there are governments out there fighting for them um, and as an organisation we can do our best but we're small um, and we trying to get that elevate that voice is and 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 get that. Um, awareness of, of those carers issues has got to be um, everyone's priority yeah I think every charity I know and every charity I use are flooded with people and this is, again is a short-sighted thing like I am like dyslexic I've got autism and ADHD and stuff so I find filling out forms and stuff impossible so without somebody that helps me at the ADHD group I wouldn't be able to advocate for myself or my son and I just think can they not make that link between people, you know, that are carers maybe not being able to do that because they a, don't have time as a carer or B, they yeah. don't have the capacity yeah. to use the language, the terminology. Mm. I mean, <laughs> this seems like so clear to me, yeah. so obvious to me. Yeah. But it just gets missed constantly. I know. And I think that's well, that I think that runs. That's a current that runs through so many things, whether it's even thinking about things like social security forms. Yeah. I mean, often social security. The people that need forms. to fill them in aren't always yeah. capable of filling them in exactly and where's this yeah and again that's i think that how we make sure inclusivity is is huge and i don't think we get that right in any stretch of the imagination i think um often inclusivity is thought of maybe even mentioned but never really done yeah because it's hard isn't it it's hard to yeah. do it <laughs> put it in practice yeah, absolutely. all those things you've just mentioned and talked about are incredible they're not easy things to solve i mean it's massive no. But, but you've got to keep chipping away at it the way you're exactly. You're I think that's the, that's the thing is if we if we just keep turning a, a, a away from those problems and hope they'll go away, then eventually they'll squash us. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really, no really it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. The Carers 2022 UK report states that while many carers are able to combine their caring responsibilities with paid work, others do not have this option. A lot of unpaid carers have had to give up work altogether to care for a family member, friend or neighbour. Unpaid carers are particularly vulnerable to all types of rising costs due to their limited ability to earn an income and due to the additional costs they face that they cannot cut back on without affecting the safety of the person that they care for. This includes costs like taking the person they care for to hospital, keeping their home at a safe minimum temperature, doing extra laundry and buying special food but items. It's also severely restricted by the eligibility rules for claiming carer's allowance, the main benefit for carers. Carer's allowance is the lowest benefit of its kind, currently £69.70 per week and available to carers who provide more than 35 hours a week of unpaid care. This podcast is brought to you by Nicola Foley and Buzzsprout. A huge thank you to my very special guest, Richard Mead.